Welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm Grant. I'll be your host today. With me, I've got Jacob, and he's from Pierland Fire Department in Texas, and they're just south. What's going on, Jacob? How you doing? Oh, nothing much, man. How are you? I'm doing good. Good. Tell us a little bit about uh, the Pierland Fire Department. So, Pierland Fire Department is, uh, this is actually our 75th year uh, this year. It started in 1946 in a little coffee shop in town uh, with volunteers. Uh, in 2007, we transitioned from a volunteer fire department to a full-time fire department, uh, where I was one of the original 18 full-timers ever hired. Um, and that short 13 and a half years, we've gone from 18 full-time employees to 160. Uh, we've made the complete transition over from volunteer to all career. Uh, and we still have some of our uh, volunteers from back then in 07, 08, 09, who are currently full-time with us now. So um, it's grown a lot. It's been real good. Uh, to be a part of it and just a huge blessing um, to be able to to help grow a fire department the way we have. So straight up OG then. Oh, um, yes, sir. That's what we call ourselves, OGs. Nice. So you guys are uh, Border Houston. Uh, how many department or how many stations you guys got or what's your what's your department makeup? So we, we run six stations right now. Uh, we're building um, a seventh in three years. Uh, we've rebuilt a couple of stations over the years. Uh, currently run six pumpers. Well, it's four pumpers and three trucks, but two of those are quints, uh, 75 foot quints that are the only apparatus in the house. So they run uh, kind of as a dual purpose. Uh, if they're second or third in, they're doing truck work. If they're first in, they're going to be doing engine work. Um, and then we have one shift commander per shift and then a whole uh, slew of admin folks over at headquarters. All right. Talk to us about uh, the department search culture. Who's doing searches on what and what are you guys getting on a regular alarm and, and so on? Um, and I know it's going to vary because this, this grab we're going to talk about is 2007. So how about the then and the now? Sure. So then I would like to think that our culture was um, we're just going to go get them and we have to work hard. Uh, we only had two apparatus, nine people with the shift commander. So we had a truck and a pumper and a shift commander for 70 square miles. That was it. So when we got a box alarm, you were only getting two apparatus until we had mutual aid companies come in, or if we had a, um, a, a little bit of volunteers show up and pull extra trucks. Uh, so back then it was all about aggression. We had to be aggressive, we had to be smart, we had to get on scene, make a quick hit, and, and make the grab if we could. Um, so we did a lot of pulling lines and you know searching off the line as we were making it to the seat of the fire if you were first in. And then if you were second in, you were doing that real detailed, you know, we called it primary, but it was more of like a secondary search uh, as your second in unit to, to make sure that we had, hadn't missed anything. Um, if we had cleared, if we had an all clear on the building, then we would just go to normal truck operations from, you know, forcing doors to throwing ladders to cutting holes, uh, doing whatever we could uh, to try to help the overall scene and, and scene management. Um, I would like to think that. Um, each individual fireman, you know, searches on their mind. And I know it was for my, for me personally, that that's, that's what we're there to do, especially with only two trucks going to a fire. Um, you know, back then we could also ride down and have three man pumpers and three man trucks. So, I mean, really and truly, if it came down to it, we had to, uh, we had to be aggressive with our searches and we had to get in there and get, get it done fast. So um, that was then. Now uh, we get, um, a whole slew of apparatus. So we'll get 
you know, shift commander, then we'll get two pumpers, uh, which one of those might be one of the quints. And then when we get our tower, the truck on every box, um, and then, um, I'm sorry, you, well, you'll get four pumpers in a truck, which some of those pumpers might be that might be the quint. Um, we have shift commander. We have a couple of admin chiefs that'll come if they're, if they're at, at the uh, headquarters. And then we have an EMS supervisor, a captain who's also certified uh, fireman who helps with safety or, or running a division. Um, so we get a lot more people now and we're a lot more organized. You know, first in unit is, is making the attack, you know, second in unit, whether that be the quint or, or the tower is going to do the truck work and they're going to really focus on that search. Um, so, you know, we're all about getting, getting water on the fire and, and in the words of Kyle Romagus, you know, compartmentalizing the fire and killing it. And then we're all about coming in and making the search on the second end unit and, and being aggressive in our search, whether it be through VES or, uh, or going through a, a different egress point and, uh, or access point, I'm sorry, and, uh, making the search. Now, when you guys, uh, so that was my next question. When you guys are doing search, what kind of searches are you doing? Are you doing oriented you're doing a split search you're doing ves is that dependent on the conditions and the crew or sure yeah so that's that is dependent on the conditions we see it's dependent on the officer and the crew and and how comfortable they are uh, we do train to do split searches we do train to do ves we do train to do oriented searches we're all unprotected uh, we don't put a line if we're if we're on the on the actual signed primary search we they're pulling a line, of course, they're getting water on the fire. And, and if they're passing up rooms as they're pulling that line, they're sticking their head in there real quick and, and making, making, uh, making a quick search on the way to the heat. And then that second unit is coming in, like I said, doing that real big detail. The grab. You're on mute, mute brother. Oh. Yeah, we had a little bit of uh, audio issues, but we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that all works out. I'm sure it's going to be fine. All okay. right, let's, let's uh, jump into take us to November 16th, 2007. Talk about the grab. Sure. So on that day, I was actually on a trade. Uh, I wasn't even supposed to be at work, um, and I was trading with a guy on the east side of town, and I'm working on the west. Uh, so I haven't really rode that pumper. You know, like I said, we were only four tours into work uh, ever in, in Pearland. So that we're still fairly new. We're getting to know each other. Um, so I'm working on the pumper and I wasn't used to that. You know, I'd been on a truck for a while at my other job and then I was assigned to the truck here in Pearland. Um, I'm working with a crew that I don't know other than a little two week orientation. I'm working with a lieutenant that I don't know at all because he didn't, he wasn't in our orientation. He came in a little bit later. Um, so it was kind of just weird circumstances, I guess. Uh, we made a run at about six Oh five in the morning to, uh, a taqueria to help a, um, a sick person with the ambulance crew. Uh, at that time, EMS and fire were separate. So we did first responders and that was it. Um, and then in, uh, about six ten, six fifteen in the morning, we got toned out for a residential fire. Uh, so we took off from the Taqueria and had a massive column. Uh, it was about a seven, eight minute response time from where we were. And the column just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger as we went. Um, we got on location and we saw that it was a two story with heavy fire in the Charlie Delta corner. 
as, as, you're, as you're rolling up, you can find, uh, you can see that there's like a, uh, like a bay window that's kind of, that, that curves out. You know, it has like that, that, angled, that angled bay window. And so from there, we said, well, that's either dining room or kitchen pulling up. And as you scanned across the house, you found that there was, um, uh, there was big bay windows in the front, and then there were some smaller windows off to the, to the Alpha Bravo corner. So we're working from Alpha Delta over to Alpha, Bra Alpha Bravo. And all the fires located on the Delta side of the building. So we, I came up, <clears throat> I was on the first end unit. So first line guy right behind the officer, he pulled the line. I grabbed a set of irons. I popped the front door. Uh, and as I popped the front door, one of the volunteer fire chiefs at the time came around and said, hey, we got confirmed entrapments. They're right here. They're back here. So I shut the front door and we went around to the Charlie side. Uh, that's where we saw the seat of the fire. Uh, we entered through the Charlie side. Uh, the guy on the nozzle, he started putting water on the fire and I started performing a search. Um, I searched the entire living room. The fire was, was, was beating us down. Uh, I couldn't see nothing. I couldn't find anything. Um, you know, it's funny. They tell you in school, right, like use the light of the fire, you know, to help you search. Uh, but that didn't help in this fire for whatever reason. That, that smoke had banked down in that room, and uh, it, it was so dark that you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. So I'm doing an oriented search right off the wall, and I, I know where the line is. I know where my officer is, and I'm searching, and I couldn't find nothing. Um, I came around to the dining room, which was probably about 15 feet from the front door. I came around to the dining room and uh, I was kind of like duck walking, I guess you could call it. I was just kind of hunched over and I tripped on a uh, step. And when I fell down, I fell flat on my belly. And when I reached out, I touched a leg or an arm or something, an appendage or something. And I said, man, I think that's, I think that's a person. So I scrambled over there and sure enough, it was the victim. Um, I knew where my front door was luckily and I started to drag and I couldn't drag her by myself. Uh, I drug her about 10 feet and I just couldn't go anymore. I couldn't get her over that step uh, to get onto the landing uh, of the foyer. So we had a truck crew that was upstairs in division two. Uh, they had just experienced a, uh, a rapid growth in fire. I don't think it was a flashover or anything like that, but they were coming down to grab a line to go back up. Uh, I grabbed them, uh, which was uh, Charlie Viegas, um, uh, Chris Perez, and Eric Potts. And I grabbed them and I said, hey, I need help. I said, I got a victim. I need help. Um, so Eric Potts and Chris Perez, they helped me grab her and lift her up over that foyer. And uh, Charlie Viegas opened the front door. We dragged her out. Um, and we gave her over to EMS. Uh, which uh, Angie Hayes was the paramedic that day and Angie Hayes finished our job. You know, she saved her and uh, the lady walked out of the hospital about a week later. Um, at that point, we were told that there was a second victim uh, in the bedroom. So we went back to the Charlie side and myself and Chris Perez, we VES uh, the master bedroom. We searched uh, the whole bedroom up and down, couldn't find anybody. I found a dog, uh, pulled that dog out, and then it was later it was later found out that her husband was actually in the hospital at the time, and there wasn't a second victim. So uh, we were able to make the grab successfully on on the on the female occupant, 
and uh, she survived and you know eventually the fire out um, and the house was saved so it was it was really really good work by all involved nice can you uh talk to us about the uh timeline um about, about how long i know we can't control how long it takes us to get there but once you sure. guys arrived what was it like to get the victim out okay so <clears throat> if i remember right uh from our arrival to when I radioed in, I had a victim to exit of the structure was about six and a half, seven minutes. Um, it all went pretty fast. You know, thinking back, it seems like it took forever. Um, but I have a bunch of pictures from this fire. And when I scrolled through those pictures from us arriving on scene to us pulling her out, it, uh, it, the pictures and the time range are about six to 10 minutes. And if I remember right on radio, it was about six and a half minutes from my arrival to, to her actually out and in EMS care. What about, so victim was uh, lying down on the ground. Were they face down, face up? And talk to us about like size and the difficulties you ran into and in, in getting her out. Sure. So um, she was face down and I was able to roll her over. And uh, I realized at that point that it was a, it was a bigger, a bigger lady. Um, I don't know of exact weight, but I know that, like I said, after about 10 feet of grabbing her, I, I, I couldn't, I, I, or dragging her, I could not lift her anymore to get her up over that step. Um, I was getting under her arms and she was tall. I do know that uh, she was tall. Her feet were actually hanging off the end of the stretcher when we put her on the stretcher. So I think all of this uh, was playing against me. Um, she was oriented in the dining room and it was attached to the kitchen. So I don't know if the fire started and she tried to put the fire out and then got ran out, ran out through the dining room towards the front door and she collapsed from the smoke or if she was actually in uh, her bedroom, but she was dressed. Um, so I would like to think that she was doing something in the kitchen, the fire started and then the smoke got her uh, and she passed out in the dining room. Um, the biggest difficulty was one, trying to relay the message out that I had someone and make sure that I kept the fire, you know, in between me and her, or I kept the fire, I kept myself in between her and the fire uh, and trying to get her out. I mean, I'd never made a grab before, you know, and in order to, uh, and I say in order, but I'd never made a grab before. And by grabbing her and pulling her, I realized very quickly, like, this is a lot more difficult than those stiff dummies that you use in, in fire school. Um, so all those methods that you learned kind of came back, thankfully, and I was able to use some techniques of, of under her arms and grabbing her wrist and holding her up to lock her in place. Uh, but I just, I, it, she was just a, uh, she was a large woman and I just didn't have the strength to get her up over those stairs and get her out by myself. So I was glad that I was able to grab some help coming down the stairs. A uh, real good point that you uh, got help and, it seems pretty consistent that when people find victims, especially the bigger ones, uh, they underestimate the difficulty that we're going to have, even if we're taking them uh, just, you know, 10 or 20 feet. What, yeah, what would you time. say? You said she was about 15 feet into the dining room? Yeah, about 15 feet from the front door. Okay. Um, so she was in the middle of the dining room, and, and I don't remember the dimensions of the dining room, but she was there somewhere by the table, in between a table and, a, uh, and an armoire, a china cabinet. Uh, you mentioned something else I don't want to skip over, but using your body to shield her from the fire. And sure. uh, we had this in one of the other podcasts that 
you know, kind of fire and victim survivability is uh, kind of like hazmat time, distance and shielding. And mm-hmm. if we can't sh- shut a door to provide uh, some shielding from the victim, we certainly can use our body um, from that radiant heat. So that's pretty cool. And I didn't want to skip over that. Yeah, absolutely. It was, uh, it was all I had left. Uh, I didn't know what else to do. I had drug her as far as I could. Um, so I just kind of laid on top of her. And then when the guys came down the stairs, I started raising my hand and yelling at them and eventually grabbed one of their feet and said, Hey, down here. I said, I got a victim, you know, I need help getting her out. And, uh, those guys stepped up to the plate man and, and did a phenomenal job helping me. That's good. What did, so this was a while ago and this was a month into you guys going from volunteered to paid. How did this call or did it at all change the search culture within your organization moving forward? You know, I don't know if it changed it, but I think it started it. You know, um, I can't speak about before we got there, how the search culture was really, um, if it was a top priority or if it was something that they practiced a whole lot on, on their Thursday night drills or not. Uh, but what I can tell you is that this, um, I guess, started the search culture for Pearland Fire Department and started to re- and we started to realize how important it was um, that the full timers were there because we were able to make this call and we were staffing. And we were able to be there quickly and make an aggressive attack and an aggressive search and save somebody. Um, I think it gave us the confidence that we needed uh, to push certain search cultures or certain aspects of the job into the direction they needed to be pushed. Um, you know, it's not something that I talk about. This is the first time ever that I speak about this um, on any type of public forum. Uh, there's a few people in the fire department and Pearland that know that I was involved in this, but not a whole lot. Um, it was actually the people from that, from the fire department that listened to your podcast that kept telling me to, to come on here and tell my story. Um, so it's, it's kind of weird talking about it, to be honest with you, but, uh, it, it definitely, I think started the culture that we have today, which is just, you know, get in there, get fast or get a search fast, be aggressive with it, be smart with it and make sure that we do our job to the absolute best that we can. Yeah, I definitely appreciate you sharing the story. Uh, I think that's something that I don't want people to skip over. We're not trying to get people to call call and tell us about their grabs uh as a way to show you know what badasses they are that, that right. that's not the intent most of the time i gotta twist people's arms to do this but there's so much to be learned in every single grab uh, i think this is going to be episode 60 or 61 we try to roll these out every wednesday i know i learn a ton but it's absolutely. validating the information you know um absolutely we ask people, you know, if they get a grab or assist, alive or deceased, go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com. Take that short survey. Uh, the information is for us, by us, and updated real time. But the importance of these grabs in the stories brings the data to life. Now we can actually teach from a position of uh, hearing the stories and where the data is. We know victims are, a lot of times are found in bedrooms, but a lot of times also 36% of the time, the victims between the fire and the front door, because, you know, what would happen if you had a fire at your house tonight? You know, right. you smell smoke, the smoke detector goes off, depending on how much you like your spouse, you may or may not wake them up. You're going to go investigate it. And if it's small, you put it out. If it's big, you're going to keep trying to put it out. And at some point you're going to bail. And it sounds like that was a situation with, with this victim, you know, she was between the front door and the fire. And right. so as we teach, um, as we teach, let's, let's use these stories and the data to help us. Absolutely. Uh, I, Can't say it better myself. 
Uh, anything else you want to share, Jacob, before we, we sign off? Uh, you know, I just, I, I want to share that, you know, I hope people can listen to this podcast and understand the importance of the search and can understand the importance of training and being prepared for the search. Um, cause you never know when you're going to make a grab. You never know. It could be your next fire. It could be the last fire of your career. Uh, but at the same time, whether it is your first or your last, you need to be adequately prepared and ready to go for that grab. Uh, there's a lot of difficulties that I would have never expected. There's a lot of difficulties that we didn't prepare or train for because we didn't know. And you can take this as experience and you can teach from the experiences learned and maybe throw some extra uh, little tweaks or, or little obstacles in your next search training uh, to be able to be more prepared for the next one. Absolutely. Well, uh, thanks for sharing with us. I already gave the wrap up on where I want everybody to go to, to if they do get a grab. So until next time. Uh, thanks for listening.